Hi, this is Tom Johnson from I'dRatherBeWriting.com. This is a recording of a presentation that I gave at User Assistance Europe in Manchester in June of 2013, and the title is Making Content More Findable When Users Browse and Search. The, the presentation lasts about an hour, and if you have comments, just please let me know in the post-show notes. Thanks. All right. Um, thanks, Matthew. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to be at a conference that has so many different countries. I, I think it's uh, just a cool, cool thing because I was talking to Matt and was mentioning that, you know, whatever kind of message that I deliver here will totally kind of like propagate throughout all, all, all these different countries, maybe. Uh, but uh, Matt mentioned uh, my blog, I'd Rather Be Writing, which is how most people know me. And um, I've been blogging there for like six years, writing about tech com, tech writing trends, different uh, issues. And I think part of the reason that it's popular is because I'm kind of like a, a tech writer in the trenches, right? I'm not, a, I'm not a consultant vendor type person. I'm actually, I'm an employee at some company. And so the issues that I write about tend to be issues that other people experience. And one of those issues um, that really seem to be something that caught my attention a few years ago was this concept of findability. Um, I was trying to organize some topics in a help file, um, you know, your, your, your typical task as a technical writer, and I kept switching around the topic from one folder to another, trying to get the table of contents or the TOC just, you know, intuitive and logical, and I'd, I'd put one topic in one folder only to, to kind of think, no, it kind of fits over here, and then I'd change it and say, no, it fits over here. Well, wait a minute, this group would see it this way, but this group would maybe like it organized this way. And it got me really thinking about what, how do you organize content? I mean, we, we, are, we are people who live in massive amounts of topics and content, and yet when it comes to like theories of how to organize and design and, and uh, show all that content to a variety of audiences. I think uh, we don't have a lot of, a lot of um, research and theory in our particular field. That's not to say that this discussion hasn't been going on for like 2,000 years, right? It builds on, on library science, information architecture, and lots of other fields, um, beginning with philosophers talking about classification and things like that. But, but it really comes to bear in a very practical way when you're trying to organize a help file rather than philosophizing about what something is. Um, so the, the question is, how do you help a user find the exact topic he or she is looking for amid hundreds or thousands of topics? Right? I, I kind of had this idea in my head that if I could just get the user to that topic, you know, things would be okay because the topic was written clearly enough and they, they could understand it and so forth. But it was getting the person there that was the hard part because people don't have a lot of patience, right? They, they'll maybe spend 10, 20 seconds trying to find it. And if you can't deliver that right topic, if you can't help them find it, then, then you're kind of sunk. Um, and it's really a problem of scale, right? It, it's not an issue if you only have 30 topics, right? It's not an issue if you don't, if you don't have a lot of stuff. And th this, this, um, 
solution to findability is really why Google is, is so popular, right? Why they've had so much success is because you type something in and you, it finds it for you. Like they're the, they're the champions of findability. Um, so uh, <clears throat> it would be easy, right, if, if it were simply a matter of putting circles, stars, and squares in the right boxes, right? You put the red circles here, you put, you know, but that's not really the case, right? You, you know that content is, is much more uh, multifaceted. It has, has lots of different properties. Uh, for example, let's say that you wanted to organize the people in this room. Um, how would you do it, right? Uh, it would be kind of ludicrous to, to just think, oh, I'm going to organize them, right? You'd have to say, well, for whom? For what purpose? You know, how, would a, how would a vendor organize the, the, the information about the people here? How would a, an, a first-time technical writer trying to break into the field want the people to be organized? Or how about somebody who's trying to like, find an answer to a problem? Or maybe somebody who's trying to um, scope out uh, <clears throat> techcom tools for, for a business proposal or something. So you can see how you can organize things in lots of different ways, right? It depends on the person, the purpose, um, the scenario. And that's the same with content. Um, I was listening to a podcast a while ago. Uh, and the, these guys were talking about Dmitry Mendeleev. And how he um, he would this is he he came up with the periodic table of elements right the the neat r arrangement of rows for all the elements and things like that and uh, the people explained how he would ride around on these trains in Russia with a stack full of index cards with all the elements kind of flipping around trying to figure out what was the right order and uh, you know he he would I, I guess he had time to ride around trains and think about that. Uh, for a long time, but he was trying to find this natural, perfect order, um, and, and then he, he did stumble across it, right? It was something objective about the, the, the atoms and, and everything. And I think when we try to apply kind of a similar objective model to information, it just doesn't work, uh, because there is no, there's no like objective order to information. It's all based on um, how, how different people want to view it. So. In the real world, let's say you have, um, let's say you have some kind of car maintenance topic, right? And you have you have this topic about flats and blowouts or something, right? You could fit that kind of topic in a lot of different folders. It could be something that fits under diagnostics. You know, how do you how do you determine whether your tire needs to be replaced if it's too bald because you could end up it could end up blowing out on the freeway? Um, it's an issue of safety, right? It's an issue of maintenance. Well, how do you how do you check the tire? Um, how do you uh, how do you how do you change it out and things like that? And then installation, you need a new one. So you could you could put the same topic in a lot of different folders, right? And this is a, this is part of the problem with the, the table of contents idea, um, because the table of contents idea has this this fixed order to it that that's so uh, that's so indicative of like a physical world paradigm. Um, I was going to ask this question earlier. Uh, what's the equivalent of Home Depot around here? Does anybody, like it's a big, it's a giant, what? Fam kid? BNQ. &Q. B &Q. Okay, so you walk, you walk into BNQ and you want something like spackling paste, you know, the little white putty that you put on holes and walls. And 
how do people organize something like that that can be arranged in, in like five different sections? It could be in your, your plumbing section, your paint section, in your concrete section. It could be near the front counter because it's so common. Um, and so you, you really have this limitation, right, with the physical world that the things can only be in one place. Um, if you walk into a supermarket, I have a friend who says she can never find coconut cream because it's some kind of baking item that, that she needs. But uh, she, she doesn't know if it's, is, it, is this in like the Thai section? Is this in the uh, near coconuts and the fruit? Is this in like canned goods? Is this in the, ba the baking uh, section? You know, it, a lot of things fit in so many different, different ways that it's, it's, we trap ourselves in this paradigm of, well, which, which is going to be the right arrangement? You know, which is the right way to do things in terms of like arranging all this content? And our problem is um, basically, Oh, yeah. Our pro sorry. Our problem is, is basically that we're looking in a, in a wrong paradigm. We're trapped in this print-based, physical sort of world. And in the print world, right, you, you kind of solve this by saying, okay, I'm going to have like these four different outputs. I'll have my, my uh, maintenance guide and my consumer's guide. And maybe this topic applies to these three guides. So I'm going to duplicate it across these three guides, but not the fourth one and so forth because that group doesn't need it, right? And so you generate different outputs and that output, one output matches audience A, the second output matches audience B and so forth. And, and you try to solve the problem that way, which is okay. You know, it's better than, it's better than just, just one giant, you know, thousand page manual. But it still is very problematic because what if somebody wants to find something that doesn't maybe fit in, in the guide they're given. They want to see across the guides. Um, you know, how do you clearly delineate things? And when we bring that same paradigm, this print-based paradigm to the web, it's even more problematic. Um, let's say you, you, you publish out some, some web help files that are like these standalone files that are the same as the print, but just in an HTML form on the web, you have the same problem. Well, what if, what if uh, the, the output for audience A doesn't entirely contain their answers. It kind of becomes fuzzy and blends with another, another output. What if, what if a user says, hey, I kind of want to search across all of them, right? And now if you've got a TOC model, um, what happens, how does Google like index this, right? If you've got the same topic in four different guides, you know, which one does Google pick? Um, some people will then take and make a giant table of contents, you know, something that's just resembling like Yahoo's original internet index. Um, and, and they'll attempt to, to kind of solve this multiple output problem that way. But then if you've got a fixed order, and let's say you have the same topic, topic C, referenced in like four different sections, you know, what happens, um, the, the context of the table of contents is gonna switch each time you view that topic. Um, so it, it's, a, it's problematic. Um, so the large scale TOC model, I see this in, in a lot of different help systems uh, where everything is just like listed in the left. I didn't want to put any actual examples because always, it always comes back to haunt me. Uh, but, but the problem with these large scales is that as soon as you start nesting things in multiple levels of hierarchy, it becomes less and less meaningful to the end user uh, at, at the highest level. So for example, uh, this, this uh, one I've got right here. Um, if you ever go to Wikipedia, 
you know, Wikipedia doesn't, doesn't really advertise this, fe this feature very much, but they have this system of categories if you scroll down to the bottom of the page. So if you, if you search for the word technical communication, you go to the, te the technical communication homepage on Wikipedia or their landing page, and you look at the bottom category, you, it's contained in another category. You can like trace it up a level, and you can keep going up and up and up, um, and, it, and it looks something like this. It's like the next level up is communication, and then language, and then culture, and then society. And, and if you keep going up, um, you get really curious to see what kind of thing it will be at the very top. You know, you're going to arrive at like the fundamental truth of everything, or or the foundation of it, everything. You really just land at something called uh, like topic or article types or something, something really unclimactic. Um, but but this attempt to, to organize information by nesting them in hierarchies, it, it obviously is because people don't want to give you a million different choices, right? So you want to have a, something that you can kind of consume at a glance, but it, but it fails because these, these high-level categories just kind of lose meaning. And, and you can obviously apply this to, to any kind of manual where you have sections titled administration and configuration and maintenance and or working with, you know, it's like, what do those even mean? Um, so let's say that you scrap this deeply nested hierarchy model and you instead have like a lot of shallow TOCs, like, like tons of them. Um, this fails too because now you have, you don't really have much of a TOC anymore. I mean, the whole idea of a table of contents is that you, you can quickly glance at something and get meaning from it. Um, so, so this fails as well. There's a, even another kind of approach is to just do away with any kind of table of contents and just, just have a pure search, right? And you see a lot of this, actually. This is, this is quite popular. Um, this places, this gives you new challenges, right? Now you have to provide the navigation inside the page level. Um, and, and link topics inter, in an interconnected way. So it's, it's more challenging and um, it can be tough for, for people who are brand new to a system. You know, where do you start? It really serves the person who's got a specific question who's looking for a specific answer. But the problem with this whole model, if you, if you eliminate browsing, is that if you just require somebody to search for information, all they're going to find is information that they're looking for. Right, but they're not going to come across these unknown, unknown topics. All these topics that, are not, that they're not even aware that they don't know. Um, for example, uh, if you're learning Illustrator, there's a cool little technique where um, if you want to <clears throat> copy the attributes of one like element, its color, its size, to another, you basically click the little eyedropper and you select the one you want to copy it to and, you, and then you click that. Uh, with the eyedropper. And it's really cool. I, I, I discovered it one day while I was learning about something else. Um, but it's not something I would search for. Uh, it's not something I would, I would know to search for. And I think many users have the same problem. I mean, how many times do, do users kind of get to a mediocre level and they stay there? They don't really, you know, they don't go beyond to get to the more advanced content, right? And so if you, if you take away browsing or, or any kind of way for them to just see a list of things they don't know they don't know, um, you, you kind of uh, trap them in, in their own little realm. Um, another example I was thinking of is a city, like let's say you wanted to tour around in Manchester, right? So let's say you go to the, the city of Manchester page and it's just got a search, button, search bar. 
You know, so you type, uh, I don't know, historic sites, sporting events, um, places of, I don't know, uh, old places, right? Maybe you totally miss some of these other key things that you didn't even think to search for, which I haven't really searched because uh, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but uh, anyway, it's an example I'm trying to use. Okay, another problem with search, now, by the way, I'm just kind of in the problem stage. I'm gonna be moving towards kind of more of a, uh, I don't know, attempted solution. But uh, another problem with search is that you can often get into these endless sort of results, right? A person searches, it's not in their top 10, so they change a little bit of their query, and it's the same result, and so you have this massive amount of results to sort through. And, and different sites have varying degrees of search engine um, effectiveness, right? Some, some sites give you like hundreds of results for, for one word. Um, so so you're, you're kind of trapped there. So here's the, here's the, the findability problem. Right, so content can be logically categorized in, in a lot of different ways, right? which makes it difficult to try to figure out how to organize it. Uh, Paper-based or print-based solutions that maybe work in print don't really work on the web. Um, the large-scale hierarchies don't really guide users. The, the flattened-out ones um, don't help them that much at all either. The search doesn't provide uh, a starting point for these new users. Um, search doesn't expose users to the unknown, unknown, and you get a massive amount of results. Right, so whether you agree with all these assertions, uh, may maybe you agree with some of them, but surely you've experienced some of this sort of frustration, either as a user or as a tech writer. How do you help people find content given all these sort of limitations um, and these challenges? So one day I was reading uh, this book that really was like my turning point. There's a book by David Weinberger called um, uh, Everything, sorry, just like Everything is Miscellaneous, right? Which is, is another way, is a catchy way of saying nothing fits into a, a clear category. It's like everything is that miscellaneous category that it doesn't fit into. Uh, he, he's the same author of the Clue Train, or one of the co-authors of the Clue Train Manifesto. So he's like really well known, and this book is incredibly popular. He basically um, in a nutshell, he says, look, in the, in the print-based physical world, right, you're constrained by, by physics, where one thing can only be in one place at, at the same time. But the digital world, things can live in the same place you know, at the same time. You don't have these, these same constraints. And the way you do it, in a nutshell here, is, is through metadata. Right? You, each object has different properties. And if you can describe the, the objects with this metadata, then you can leverage that metadata in different ways. So you could pull together all objects that have a certain metadata tag and, and, and so forth. And I'm gonna be getting into that. But um, I think it's, uh, it's a little more clear if you, if you actually transpose it on the physical world to see how things might work. Let's say you go into that B&Q store or whatever big supermarket, right? And uh, you're looking for um, the spackling paste, right? Or, or you're looking for, let's say, um, plumbing. Suddenly, the huge store that has a gazillion items is now narrowed down to just like a subset of only what you need. Or let's say it's targeted to your, your profile. Your, your, uh, you have a certain profile and you go into a place and all the, only the things that are relevant to your profile appear to you. 
Uh, you're, you're in a shoe store with a million shoes, but you only want to see basketball shoes. Instead of having to sort through all those other shoes, you just see like the type of shoes you want. Um, so if you go and apply that to the information world, it can have tremendous potential to try to help people find what they're looking for because they no longer are burdened by all this extraneous, irrelevant stuff and they can get right to what they want. So, <clears throat> uh, the basic idea is that um, you tag things or you add metadata, which is just uh, a way of describing the, the resources, the information, information resources, with different things. So, for example, coming back to our car analogy, let's say you have a topic about air pressure. And that topic would fit neatly into um, a book about diagnostics, a book about maintenance, a book about installation, not about safety, but maybe about, I don't know, mechanics or something. So you can have that one topic appear in these different views, right? So instead of a, a table of contents, now we've got like a view that is, that is basically pulling uh, together information that, that meets certain metadata requirements. Um, <clears throat> all right, so uh, now in this slide, I'm like gonna uh, like march through volumes of stuff. So once you, once you figure out what metadata you have, right, then you would tag all your content with that metadata and then figure out what views you want to have be the result, you know, what views you want to leverage the metadata into. And, and uh, this is so much easier to say than do. Um, I started to do this with my help and, and realized, well, first I need to figure out what all the terms are. So this sets you to create a taxonomy, which is like a, it's like a, a list, a hierarchical list of all the terms and their relationship to, to each other in your, in your organization. Right, every organization has its own kind of language and terms for different things. You set about creating a taxonomy. You, when you do that, you, you create this, this language. And then after that, you have to say, well, okay, which terms from this, this giant set are going to be the ones that I need to apply to my content? And in order to do that, you have to figure out, well, what are the end views that I want to do with this content? So people have been doing this forever, right? This is... Uh, from the first days of the library, uh, where people had tons of books to classify, uh, people have been coming up with different systems in order to describe data. Um, it's actually really fascinating to read the, the, some of the history of like the Dewey Decimal System and things like that, and these classification system schemes that kind of failed. But, but when it comes to TechCom, um, I think you, 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 you come up with, with these the, the metadata that describes your products, right? You could, um, like there's, there's a concept of a kind of an institutional uh, language versus a, a vernacular common user language. And whatever, whatever end facets that you want for people to leverage have to connect with like the user's mental model and their brain. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to use really fancy terms when, when the user only has really simple terms in mind. For example, let's come back to the car. Uh, if you're a dealer, right, and you've got this, this metadata, and you say, well, I've got like 17 different types of cars. I've got the uh, two-door, a four-door, the hatchback. I've got the, the SUV, the PT Cruiser, which who knows what that is. We've got the, uh, like, all these different car types. Whereas 
a consumer comes into the dealer and they're like, I just want a like, cheap car, you know. So, so you've got a challenge of, well, how precise do you want to be with all your metadata versus what am I going to do with it at the end? I'm just going to tag it car versus truck versus van or something. So um, there's a whole discussion about that. Um, as you're kind of going through this process, you'll also realize that you need to chunk up things in order to be able to recombine them in, in different ways. Um, it was, I saw a great example of this while hiking once in southern Utah. Um, in order to, to keep people from wandering off the trails, because there's not really trails, it's just kind of rocky desert, uh, they, they stack rocks up in these little stacks. And um, it's kind of cool, <laughs> uh, these, little these little like chimneys of rocks that are just all around. But, but I realized that um, you know, if you've got little rocks, you can stack them in a lot of different ways. But if you just have a few big rocks, you, know, you can't really stack them in too many different ways. So if you want to have a lot of different views for your content, you've got to have recombinable units that are small enough to be kind of uh, assembled in different ways. Um, should also note that you can't, really, you can't really make something too small as well, right? If you've, got something down to like the sentence level, it doesn't really mean much on its own. Is it going to merit its own metadata? Probably, probably not, right? So, all right. Um, there's, Peter, Peter Morville is one of the, one of the, like the leaders in information architecture, and he's got a great book on, on search patterns. And one of them he talks about is this, he, he create, he, just basically notes that there's, there's two kinds of, of ways to create these views. You can create a static view that has kind of a predefined query that just builds uh, a list of topics that meet X, Y, and Z filter requirements, right? And, and you, let's, say, uh, um, let's say one of those views is like getting started, and it just rolls up all like the introductory content. But you can also have dynamic facets that, that appear after a user searches. So in that way, I'm sure you've seen this on sites. Um, you search for something, and in the left, you get all these filters, and you, you click one, and the, the number of search results narrows. You click another, it narrows even more, that kind of thing. So those facets appear based on the keyword you search for, but they come, out, come around in a really dynamic way. So um, you have kind of different options of how you want to, to use this metadata to manipulate the content. Um, Actually, uh, a while ago, I was working with MediaWiki. It's a great wiki platform. Not a lot of people use it, right? But, uh, well, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Tons of open source projects and lots of web communities use it. I don't see it used as much in the tech comm communities. But basically, um, they've got a great extension there called Semantic MediaWiki Extension. And uh, it allows you to do so many, so many of these things I'm talking about, where you can, you can tag pages, you can create these pre-built queries, that, that combine things in sophisticated ways, right? Not just like everything with tag A, but everything with tag A and tag Z and like partial of another tag and things like that. Um, and then you go through your website and in different places where you want to create a view, you can basically put that, 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 that filter that, that basically defines the metadata. So here, let's say you have a page that you want to show just um, like cars that are diesels, that are, that are all the engine types and that are like foreign or that are, sorry, Japanese. Um, so you, you basically build a little query there that, that selects only that metadata and then that content 
dynamically appears there. Um, which is, a, it's a different concept. Like, you know, I, I've worked with help authoring tools a lot, and they didn't really, they didn't really have this concept of metadata and, and this choreography, to use a term that Seth Early, a, a, like a really well-known guy in, <clears throat> in, in this field, talks about. Um, you know, mostly with a lot of help authoring tools, you, you, you define things in a static table of contents, or you, you, maybe you have tags or something else, but, but uh, this takes it to another level entirely because you've, you've got an ability to create a view of anything. It's just your, your like, sophistication on how you want to tag things and roll up those tags. Um, and you could, roll, you could roll them up into like a lot of different portlets. Let's say you have a page that has maybe an introductory portlet or like a troubleshooting portlet or a portlet on like, uh, I don't know, just APIs or something where you've, you've got these little different sections that, that are showing you maybe the top, the top uh, topics of, of that type, you know, and these topics are tagged with uh, introduction or featured or something and, and you've got these little windows into the content. Um, and you can basically create lots of different routes. Let's say you have a, a special scenario that, that draws upon a lot of different topics that would appear in other views, but this, this little portlet is going to show you a path, a certain path through the topics. Um, all right, you could also uh, do a context-sensitive help system kind of like this. Let's say you tag all the, all, let's say a, a certain screen has maybe six or seven relevant topics that are related to that screen that a user could do. You could tag all those topics with a certain screen name and then link, link your help button on that page to that kind of view of all those topics. Then when you have, have a new topic that kind of relates to that screen, you don't have to like manually place it anywhere. You just tag it with that screen name and then now it's suddenly like plugged into your system. <clears throat> All right. Um, one of the cool things about faceted search, right, this is getting into more of the search part of it, uh, is that when people search for content, first of all, they don't even have to see the facets, right? You, you just get a blank search box to begin with. Um, it's not like the advanced search world where you have all these pre, pre -fil these filters that come before the search action. No, th this is like, these are filters that, come, that appear after. Um, so you search for something, and if you find it in the top results, great, right? But if you don't find it, then you can start clicking on one of these facets. And all these facets that appear are topics that, that, uh, that have been tagged um, with a certain keyword, and they have some kind of, sorry, they've been tagged with certain metadata, and one keyword or something matches the search results. So uh, a user clicks that, and then it, it narrows the results to all those topics that just have that tag. How many of you have like, used faceted search on the web? Like This is common sort of thing. OK, good, good. Um, I usually like to be really more interactive and, and have a discussion. I don't know if that works in huge groups, but I've told, if you have a question, just raise your hand. I'd love to uh, jump in. I, I do have some time planned for Q&A at the end here, but uh, if you do have a question, jump in. Because I know there's like, I'm sure there's lots of, um, <clears throat> lots of different, uh, I don't know, strategies or, or problems or, or different uh, applications of all this stuff. Um, 
I've actually had great discussions online with Mark Baker about this. I don't know, do you guys read every page is page one? He's another great blog. And, and he, he's really into this whole idea of you know, users searching and trying to enable findability through search. And uh, so, so whether, whether, you know, whether these facets are gonna help somebody find something that they're looking for is somewhat debatable. Um, one of the things Mark has pointed out and which you also see in, in other, other texts um, is that the facets need to be something that's familiar to the user, right? This comes back to my, <clears throat> my earlier point about you know, picking facets that align with the user's view in some way. And that's really hard to sometimes do. But uh, you know, if you look at what users are already searching for, you can analyze queries and say, oh, users are searching for error messages, for example. Well, maybe error messages could be a facet, right? And um, so it's, I think it's somewhat of an art to try to figure out what facets people are gonna use that would make sense to people. And it, it has to be specific to your knowledge domain. I don't think there's this concept of a universal facet. Although some people have tried to come up with them, some philosophers, some library sci scientists, you know, what are some, uh, there's, a, there's like a famous Indian uh, library science guy who came up with like the first faceted classification system and he, came up with these five universal facets that could describe all of human knowledge and things like energy and like matter and activity or something. But uh, really, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't really help. Um, usually people want things, you know, if it was a shoe store, size, color, you know, sport. And if it, if it were your help, we don't have size, color, and sport. We have common topics that describe your knowledge domain, you know, some kind of aboutness, some in, some subject, all right, different subjects. Um, so anyway, with the faceted search, the idea is you start broad and then you get more and more narrow. But if you, if you suddenly get too narrow and you don't get any results, you just uncheck that little facet and those results expand back. And it's kind of a cool nifty system. And one of the, one of the, one of the things that faceted search solves is that rather than presenting the user with this giant TOC uh, with all these nested hierarchies, the user only sees like a subset of that TOC. So you may have like 30 books in your table of contents or your, your views or something. I guess I, we abandoned the table of contents a while ago. I'm not actually saying you, you, they can't work together. But basically, uh, my point here is that the faceted search is gonna give you a, a scaled in, zoomed in look at only those parts of your content that are relevant to that user. Um. <clears throat> All right. Uh, and faceted search also kind of allows you to, to combine browsing with searching. And this is a big, big deal. Peter Morville talks a lot about this, um, how, how this combination is really powerful. For example, let's say that a user starts out searching for, uh, you know, get widget for RSS or something, right? He searches doesn't find the results, but he or she can browse a little bit and sees that, uh, um, sorry, I can't even read this. <laughs> he sees some about modules. So he changes the search and now he searches for download feed module and, and then gets different results and sees stuff about data feed modules. He's starting to learn the lingo, the language. Then the person searches for something a little smarter, options to set up data feed modules. You know, now, now the person searches, doesn't see the results, but browses through things and, 
sees, sees topics such as setting up the data feed module, and now the person finally lands on really what they were looking for, configuring data feed modules with RSS or something. Right? So this, this process of finding is, is really facilitated through a combination of browsing and searching. And when you can take and make search even smarter by adding some browsable components in it, um, all the better. And, and it, the, browse, the browsable components don't have to just be like these facets, right? You could, you could have a user land on a page and have on that page some related topics that all meet the same metadata requirements or that are all in the same kind of level uh, <clears throat> of, of products or information, and the user could bounce to that more detailed um, topic. So, so if you can like, combine the two, it's really powerful. And here's a slide kind of showing this. Um, I think this is, this is Mark Baker's preferred solution, is that you provide this navigation at the topic level. Uh, so you can, you, can, you can do it a variety of different ways, right? Um, all right. I'm kind of getting near, near a point where I'll, I'll, I'll take some questions. But uh, one of the things I like about this model of using metadata to try to organize and, and arrange information is that it allows you to plug into more of an agile publishing methodology. If you're constantly pushing out new topics, like every week you're pushing out five, 10 new topics, right? You don't wanna be figuring out, well, how am I gonna arrange these, right? Your information architectural uh, strategy should already be in place where this sort of topic gets viewed or gets automatically placed in this view, and this topic gets in that view, and so forth. And so now with this metadata strategy, you just tag things in the right way, and they automatically like plug into the system and appear to your user in, in the right ways. And of course, I'm kind of simplifying that. It's really difficult to make that uh, successful, but um, the idea is there, right? That you can have this hands-off system that people in, in different groups, let's say your support people, they tag something with gizmo, right? And they don't have to figure out, well, where does this fit into the overall structure of the documentation? Now they've, they've got the right tag that they've selected from a controlled list of vocabulary, and the topic knows where to go because the, you've got these filters that are pulling it there. You can have all kinds of people in different groups, your marketing group, they tag something as gizmo, and it goes there, right? And you've, as long as you've established a, a vocabulary um, that people are using, uh, then you can, you can organize information in, in ways that um, flows naturally. Right? The, you've probably seen a lot of tagging systems on the web, like free tagging, where you just, you just pick some tags randomly to try to describe things. And that doesn't really work because some, one person may tag uh, something as tree, and another person tags it as trees, and then the two totally don't, don't go into to the same place. Right? It's, it's not controlled. Okay, um, one of the limitations, I think, with tags is that you lose some of the precision about, about placement, right? If you've just got everything tagged as, as tree, uh, the topics appear in like a list, and, and there's not a whole lot of, lot of order, order to them. And you can add more fine-grained metadata. You could have like a weighting tag, and you could you know, give it a weight of one, two, three, and define a specific order and so forth, but it gets to be quite tedious. Um, so I think there's kind of a trade-off, right? If you want to have a somewhat simplistic 
uh, metadata system. You don't want to burden, burden users with selecting 50 different metadata fields. Right? Um, then, <clears throat> then I think the, the lists are going to be somewhat more general. And this uh, may be frustrating for somebody who wants like a very logical progression through a very sequential order of topics. And I think if that's the case, if you need something very logical, logically sequenced, then yeah, you know, create a table of contents that you know, manually creates all those links. But, uh, <clears throat> but, but if not, if the topics you know, are more of like an unordered list of items, then it, the table of contents doesn't make a lot of sense. Like if you have FAQs about something, they don't really have an order, right? If each FAQ is its own topic, they can just be put into a general view about things. All right, and uh, finally, you know, as you move towards this, this, this paradigm where you have, a, have lists of topics, it makes more sense that each of these topics is sort of its own starting point, that it, it, it's self-contained. It, Mark Baker would say every page is page one. But the idea that you don't have to like go to a very next topic and a next topic and a next topic in order to make sense of it, it's just kind of, you, you get it on its own. Or it's got links to guide you in the right way. <clears throat> okay, so, now, my little guy is dancing because he's found, he thinks he's found the solution, but this is only a partial solution. But let me just kind of state how I think these techniques of browsing and searching with the metadata kind of fit. You can create multiple views to categorize the same content in a lot of different ways. Right? So that's the, the main thrust of it, right? You've, you're no longer constrained by this idea that a topic can only fit in one place at one time. You can create lots of different views where the same things are simultaneously existing. Um, and, and, you don't, and you can do this without duplicating, without like, you know, having this, like, without duplicating the page content itself. Um, these large-scale hierarchies that are problematic because, problematic because they don't mean a whole lot, they, they get hidden, and the flattened organization isn't, isn't a problem either because of the, if you're searching, right, you get this zoomed-in view of just the relevant parts of your table of, con or, or of your views, your table of contents, whatever, that, uh, that are relevant to the user. Um, <clears throat> finally, the users can, can browse and search in intelligent ways, and they can create these, these queries. They're not just stranded in the way they use um, search, right? They don't just, they're not left to their one or two word broken searches. They can start building more advanced queries by clicking on these different uh, facets that they want for their search. But, okay, so this is why this is, this is kind of the reality check. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily solve find, findability to do this faceted search. And um, this comes back to my original question, which was, you know, how do you help the user find this topic? Because you know, how do you help them get the information they need in order to solve their problem right then? And um, people have been talking about this since like John Carroll's Minimalism book. Uh, which, which comes back to the, the problem that is a user going to really learn something from a linear list of steps? Is that going to solve, solve their problem? You know, if they, if they get this information, is that, are they going to find it? Is, it? is it really going to meet their needs? And so I think whatever strategy you use for, for search, you have to take this into context. You know, is this, is this really going to fix the problem? Um, because users learn at different levels. So let's say they find a topic, but it's meaningless to them. 
Um, my wife is taking a class in Java programming right now, and my wife has absolutely no programming experience whatsoever. And she's completely lost. Like she, she comes home and says, you know, is this guy even speaking English? Uh, she, she says she's like throwing up, throwing in the towel. And he's delivering, he's delivering the information. I'm sure he's teaching the right principles, right? If it were a help system, he's delivering the content, but it's meaningless because she's not really at the level where it's gonna be something that she can absorb. Um, so a lot of content is like this, right? The stuff at the top level, you may find it, but you're not ready to really like understand it until you get up there. Um, another, another basic principle is that a lot of users learn by doing. So even if you teach somebody, well, yeah, this is how you make a, a API call with this you know, PHP and you do this and that, uh, until you actually do it, it doesn't sink in. So you can, you can give somebody the information and it may do them no good whatsoever. They kind of have to realize it through, through acting. Codeacademy.com is a great site about this. It's like, this is what the interface looks like. It's got instructions on the left and says, do this. And then you do it, and it's got this built-in command interface, and you can see things in real time. Completely uh, kind of supporting the idea that users learn by doing, so you have to make them do a lot of things. So how do you, how do you factor this kind of uh, principle in with findability? It's like, well, you, you teach, you, you encourage them to take an action that will lead them to find and realize the answer for themselves but through their actions. Another example is, is an end-to-end -end scenario. So let's, say, let's come back to Illustrator. Let's say you're trying to create this little, um, this little picture, right? Which draws upon a lot of different tools. You've got, you've got the pen tool, you've got the shape tool, the outline tool, the stroke topic, the radi radial gradient, the reflector tool, right? And you, you're bringing them all together in, in ways to, in order to combine this. What, what topic in Illustrator covers how to do this? Each topic is like just focused on, oh, here's how you use this tool, here's how you use that tool. But, uh, I mean, we all know, like, let's say, let's say you're, you're a soccer player, you could learn to, you know, dribble the ball, kick the ball, uh, defend, but until you bring all that together, you don't really have much of a game, right? You, it's the skills in combination and how you leverage them together that really determine if you can do something. So, you could present... I've gone through all these courses and these, these little topics in Illustrator, and I, I still would, would, would be challenged to, to make a little glass vial like that. Um, and one of the guys that does a lot of great Illustrator demos is, is uh, Decky McClelland. Uh, you see a lot of his demos on lynda.com. <clears throat> but um, he, 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 he takes you from, he takes you through a whole end-to-end -end scenario. Like, you know, here's how to make a black cat or something. So you got the whiskers and you got the eyes, and he, he, he pulls all the tools together. Another kind of challenge is that sometimes people, they don't learn through text, right? So let's say you, yeah, I worked once with a, with a boss or a, a product manager, and I'd, I'd deliver him something, and it's almost like the text would just shoot right past his eyes. He, would, he wouldn't really see it. But, but a video or an illustration, he loved it. And he, he glued, he, his eyes just gravitated to them and he would watch it with entire focus. So although you may, may allow a user to find a topic, if it's not in the right like, medium for their learning mode, for their preference, they're not gonna, it's not gonna mean anything to them, right? It's not gonna, it's not gonna answer their, their question. 
And finally, uh, well, actually not finally, there's one more after this. Um, a lot of users, they don't use help at all, right? So how do you help the user who won't even bother to search for something? They're not gonna go into the help because they hate help or they, they don't think it's gonna be useful, right? So how do you, how do you enable findability in that scenario? Um, well, you can, you can kind of merge help into the application. You've you probably, probably seen walkthroughs or other kinds of integrated, um, actually kind of cool, that would actually walk you through the steps as you're doing them. But um, again, this, <coughs> this, is, this is outside the scope of like how, how you're going to manipulate your content into findable ways, right? You have to pull it into the application. And this is my, my finally slide. I think it's a huge, huge one. Is a, a lot of the reason people can't find something is, is because it doesn't exist. Um, if, if a user is searching for a certain problem, no matter what you do with metadata, with, with your, your tagging and your views, if it's something that you don't even cover because maybe, it, maybe it's a known limitation that you don't want to write about or maybe you just don't consider it, users are, are not going to find it. Um, and then, you know, in the future, you've got things like audio interfaces, talking to your, your iPhone and Siri and making voice commands. How do, you, how do you enable findability with that kind of situation where you suddenly don't have text anymore? At least, at least you have a different kind of text. Okay, so I've been talking for a while and it's 10 o'clock. Um, what kind of questions do you have? Anything? Yes. Um, I guess, I don't know, this is the, the dreaded question, I guess, tools. Um, this really looks great, so mm. how do I, are, are, is there something out there that I can mm. use to integrate this kind of approach into my health system, yeah. um, et cetera? I, I thought you were going to ask that. I actually had some anticipated questions. Let me see if this one addresses it. It's all very fine to say that we should embrace faceted search, but the tools just aren't there yet. Right, unless you're publishing on Drupal or some other system with Apache Solar Search, how do you how do you do it? If it's not technically feasible, why even bother preaching about it as a solution? So I knew somebody would ask that, right? Because <laughs> I was asking that a couple of years ago. I went to an STC conference and I had one question. I, I wanted to know how I could implement faceted search, and I asked the smartest people I could throughout the whole conference, and the only answer I got was, well, you'll probably have to build it yourself or you know, you'll probably have to have your programmers build it, which, right, like they're gonna allocate resources to building it. Uh, hold on, wait, I'll, I'll get in just one second. So I think um, the answer to this question can be really political. Whenever I bring in tools, I always like get bitten in five different ways. There are some open source tools that you could use. There are some, there are some vendor specific tools that you could use. The one that I've found recently that's like super easy is this Apache Solar Search through Drupal. Uh, so if you get a way to plug your content into Drupal, you know, the, let's say you write in Dita, you could, there's, a, there's a connector that will pull it in and you could like configure it that way or if you don't write in Dita, you just write somewhere else, you can plug it in in another way, write right in, in some of these uh, web CMS tools and, and you, can, you can have them. And, I mentioned MediaWiki, semantic MediaWiki extension. They're both, they're both free extensions. And at the vendor level, like, I think there, there are some tools that exist. I know, I think the SDL 
one has a, um, different tools have varying capabilities, right? Some may call it faceted search, and it's kind of like, um, sorta. Some may be really impressive. Yeah, yes. I, 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 my name is George Pina from Oxygen. Oh, uh, great. I, uh, I, I want to mention that a couple of years ago, I think two years ago, there was a presentation exactly on uh, this on oh. the data conference. Uh, uh, Joe Gell from Swiss Solution, they presented uh, implement mm. using the subject scheme map from GitHub ah, okay. that allows to define values and even hierarchical values, mm. like a taxonomy. Uh, and they use that to generate faceted search output from GitHub. Oh, okay. Great. What, so what was the person's name again? Uh, Joe Gell from Swiss Solution. Oh, okay. Great, great. Yeah, I know that, um, you know, definitely a lot of these XML solutions allow you to semantically tag things, which is huge, right? You gotta be able to, to tag different things. And I, I really was trying to figure out how to do this and gave up a while ago, and then I just happened to start working at a company that used Drupal, and I was like, whoa, I can now do faceted search. It's like right there. I didn't even have to add anything. It was, somebody just didn't know how to configure it. Um, so it, I think they're getting there. And I'm really fascinated by, by this idea of the innovator's dilemma. Um, the, and I'll, I'll bring this around to, to this solution, or to this question. There's a really interesting like, history of the, the telegraph and the, the telephone. Apparently when Alexander Graham Bell, who was the you know, creator of the phone, the, the guy who built the phone, when he was first building it, it, it kind of really sucked, right? It wasn't very good. People, it was crackly. It, he had like 20 feet between the people, it was muffled, and he presented it to these big telegraph companies, and they were like, who is gonna want that? This is terrible, you know, nobody's gonna use that thing. And they kind of ignored him for a while, and then Alexander Graham Bell kept developing the phone and developing it and developing it, and pretty soon it got to be better than the telegraph. And like overnight, all these telegraph companies were out of business, because now the phone was the new thing. And so, <clears throat> I think even if the tools aren't there in their maturity, um, they will be eventually. They will be soon. And so if you, if you just say, well, I'm not gonna use these now because well, it's not really, they don't fit, they don't, they don't uh, fit into my existing workflow, it's still worth paying attention to them and trying to, trying to follow them and to, to learn about them because there will become a point where, where they are much more accessible and adoptable. And at that point, they'll basically put the other search tools out of business. So um, just keep that in mind. And, and, and I, you know, I think uh, um, not, it's not just the faceted search. It's just the whole metadata in general, right? How do you add metadata to a, to a topic in a, in a help authoring tool? You know, that, that is something that, that maybe isn't there. And, and not just how do you add the metadata, but then how do you manipulate a view that defines specific metadata to appear on a page? You know, so walking away from faceted search altogether, just how do you do that? Um, and obviously I think uh, XML plays into that, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know, it's, it's something to explore. Other questions? Way in the back, in the green, with your hand up. Oh, sorry, go for it, yeah. As you were going through your presentation, we were getting very excited because uh, we have a solution. Awesome. Right? <laughs> that I mean, would be remiss of me uh, not to say it, that tackles just about every, every problem that you mentioned in, in your presentation. G so, give us the two-minute summary. Tell us about it. Well, it's a product is called Amazar. 
and it's a, it's a, what we call a best of breed uh, solution for um, technical self-service over the web. So um, it uses uh, the metadata approach uh, to catalog and index uh, content. Uh, it provides a federated search facility, so no matter where your content uh, resides, whether it's in your document library, in community forums, or indeed on the World Wide Web, we can, uh, we can find it, uh, we can index it, and uh, we can host it. So uh, it can stay exactly where it is, but we'll just host a copy of it. Hmm. Uh, so it brings it all into, into one location uh, to improve finding it. Cool. And you said that was Amazar? Like Amazar. A-M-A-Z-R? OK. Cool. Amazon. Yeah. yeah, actually, you know, coming to the topic of tools, another one that I've seen recently is Fluid Topics. If, you've, if you check them out, they're pretty interesting. So guy, guy in the back. Cool, thank you. Uh, Dom Smith from Redgate. Um, so Fasted Search works really well if you're running your own search engine. And um, if you've got control of where users are coming from. But if you've got, say, in our case, about 10% of our users use our exciting internal search engine, 80% is coming from Google. Hmm. We can't control the metadata Google is using. So how do we prevent a user coming in from Google hmm. just ending up on some random page and not being able to easily navigate because they haven't come from our search engine? Yeah, great question. So all right, just to summarize, so you're saying you know, if people don't come in through your, your internal search that has the facets, how do you still provide this uh, facets? You know, Because they're just going to see the page. And here, I, I would just kind of speculate that I think if you provide page level navigation, let's say you have on your page a little view that has a list, like a little uh, a menu area that has a view of other topics that are similar to that topic in terms of how you've tagged them, that could provide, provide the, the same kind of feature. Or, or internal links um, somehow, but um, now that's a great question. And you know, I, I've kind of been wondering about Google in general. Like, how many people start from Google and end up in in the product? And I think it totally depends on the, the product market. But great question. So thanks. I, I, I think there is yeah. something, but I, I, I didn't look too close into that. But have you heard about schema.org? Schema.org. Yeah. No, I haven't. So, so, so it's an initiative. Uh, Sorry, that no, we've got a question in the back here. With okay. Uh, okay. Exactly to allow this uh, to be understood by okay. search engines. All right. So, Google being another so schema.org is something yeah. to check out in terms of that. Okay, uh, question over there. Yeah, uh, Tom. Uh, Ray. <laughs> Sorry, recognize. Go ahead. Uh, when, you, uh, when you start doing these facets, I'm just wondering, as I was looking at your diagrams, it's something hit me when you talked about flat and you talked about um, chunking, appropriate chunking. It seemed to me that if you keep doing this, if you've got a large body of material and you just keep building this up and building this up, eventually, don't you actually end up with an ontology? Uh, uh, yeah, so the, the, the ontology, okay, as I understand it, the ontology are just like all your different taxonomies that are working together uh, in one system. Um, I think you have to keep like whatever terms you're using pretty simple. If you, if you start building out all these facets and you have like 17 different facets because you've got so many different languages going, um, then, then it's not going to be that useful to the, to the user. But I think I'm missing the point of your question. Like, well, well, the reason that I asked the question yeah. is that the whole idea of ontologies or 
part of it, as I understand it anyway, is that it's supposed to be flat. And that mm. one of the things that you get when you start looking at ontologies is you get that element of surprise, or mm. what you call the unknown unknown. Mm. That uh, it, um, when you search based on, ontolo uh, on ontologies, rather than pure keyword search, you get relationships that you may not have suspected, mm. even when constructing the ontology. How, how is that different from just like the taxonomy? Like, uh, how does the ontology take it to a different level? Um, is this well, well, if you look at a sort of formal description of an ontology, it takes the form of X is an example of Y that has as characteristics mm. A, B, C, D, E. Mm. So it's a, bit, it, it's a bit more developed than, than simple facets. Yeah, so you're getting into more of like the semantic web and like all these, these exactly. RDF frameworks and stuff. Yes, but I'm, I'm just yeah. wondering because, because one of the problems with ontologies is that they're very uh, human labor resource mm. intensive. Mm. Uh, so we'll probably never have ontologies for the whole web. There's just too much stuff. Uh, but it seems that in some way, even if they're only partial, that using facets like this that just build up organically that you get at least a partial kind of uh, ontological approach that could eventually be useful in a semantic web context. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, I don't know enough about ontologies to really comment <laughs> in intelligent ways in response, so I appreciate your, your input on that. I think, um, you know, there's, there's a book I've been reading that has been kind of really uh, cool. A guy just published this. He, he's a professor at the School of Information at Berkeley. His name is Robert Glushko. And it's, it's called The Discipline of Organizing. It's not like an easy read. It's a textbook that's like 500 pages and really written in a thick academic way, but uh, totally lays out all, all of this stuff in, in ways that makes you think, uh, at least in ways that really humbled me and made me think, why am I presenting on this? This is such an like, advanced topic with so much like history behind it. Um, and, and, but, but on the other hand, I also think I'm actually wrestling with how to apply it to a specific practical, you know, corporate help example. And I think that's where, where we have a lot of opportunity and all this theory about, about how, you, how you classify things and tag things. How does it all come into an actual practice where somebody's doing it and people are getting good benefits and results by it? So we have a lot of opportunity for that. And I've run out of time. I'm, I'm sorry, we, we don't have any time for more <laughs> questions. Tom's going to be around throughout the two days of the conference. Uh, I'm sure he'll be happy for you, for you to come uh, chat to him at any point during those two days and put your questions to him personally. Uh, thank you very much, Tom, for that great chat. Thank you. Uh, we now have a 30-minute break, during which time the uh, partition wall will come in.